The Unlikely Innovators with Mike Comito and Steve Gravel. Presented by Cambrian R&D and the Center for Smart Mining. Mike, we're back, and this is Season 3 of The Unlikely Innovators. Under a new format, it used to be a weekly innovation podcast, but now we heard our listeners and they said, we want less. <laughs> so now we've moved to a monthly format. No, of course, we're trying to do quality over quantity. Everything's going to be on location and uh, we're just really happy to be back bringing those unlikely stories of innovation to our listeners each month. Yes, and we're here at the Chemical Analysis and Scientific Services suite at Cambrian College. So it's not the ideal podcast studio because there's a, if you, you can't see this, but it's a great visual backdrop. But there is a constant hum from the instruments that we have behind us. So Paul will be working hard behind the scenes to, to help us sound good, but he always succeeds. So... I have yeah. no doubt that uh, we'll, we'll have different locations that will have less ambient noise. But we wanted to show you where a lot of the work happens at Cambrian. Our guest today is Dr. Nadia Mikachuk, uh, who is, um, I think, one of the reasons we wanted to bring her on today was to talk about her new industrial research chair mm-hmm. uh, term that she started with NHFC, with Morocco, with Cambrian, and with partners like Valet. Because a lot of the work that she'll be doing in the biomining and bioremediation space We'll be doing some of that work here. She'll also be in the field. She'll also be doing work at Laurentian as well. But we wanted to kind of show you where a lot of the work that happens um, behind the scenes for, for that research. Yeah, and I'm, I'm doing my part to be frugal, of course. This is a hand-me-down uh, lab coat that I'm using because when we had these made, I actually hadn't joined the team yet. So this is actually uh, not my coat, as you can imagine. I haven't been working out so much. I think that's that how they, the scientists order tight-fitting. Yeah. It's the new style yeah, right that's now, right? right? It's like Back in jeans. the day, they used to be baggy lab coats, yeah. but they're like tapered. Yeah, I'll need to go down to the millwright <laughs> shop to get some grease to take this off after. So that'll be some nice behind-the-scenes content. But of course, Dude. we're we're super pleased to have Nadia as the first uh, returning guest we have on the pod. And uh, really just great to hear an update from her on about the exciting things we're going to be doing together uh, and all she's accomplished, uh, you know, in the in the in the days ahead. All right, and we're back, and we're joined by our guest, uh, Dr. Nadia Mikachuk. Uh, in my mind, whenever I see your name on paper, I just say M Y K Y T C Z U K because I've had to say it, spell it so many times whenever we're writing grants together. Um, so I know how to spell your name uh, pretty easily. But uh, just a quick bio for Nadia. Obviously, the first time we've had a repeat guest on the show, so yes. we're super pumped about that. And thanks for joining us. Uh, uh, Nadia is now serving as the CEO and president of Morocco um, in Sudbury. She also serves as the, uh, in the role of executive director of the Goodman School of Mines at Laurentian University. She has 18 years of experience working in environmental microbiology with a focus on mining systems and the development of bioleaching and bioremediation technologies, I'm sure we'll talk about today. Uh, now that she's under Morocco, she's embarking on the development of a center for mine waste biotechnology in Sudbury. Estimated price tag on that will be about $21 million, and we'll, we're really excited to talk about that today, too. Uh, and its aim is to advance the, to scale up and commercialize biotechnologies for mine waste treatment uh, with industry and private sector partners. Uh, also, since we last spoke, she's the new NOHFC Industrial Research Chair in Biomining and Bioremediation, uh, where she'll leverage her existing industrial and research partnerships established over the last 12 years uh, to help deliver on new technologies for critical minerals and supporting sustainable mining practices. Um, we're really happy to have you back on the show. 
Um, we just thought that so much has happened since we last spoke that it made sense to kick off our next season uh, with just an update uh, and another chat with you. So thanks so much for, for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. And it's fun to actually be here in person and not on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And we are in the uh, the cast facility here on campus. Uh, as you could tell, this isn't a, uh, a typical studio. It's not a white screen or a green screen. We're actually here uh, live, oh, yeah. live and in person. Um, so I think what we wanted to do, uh, you know, we talked about your sort of career path last time, but we want to delve a bit deeper uh, to start, and then we'll talk about some of these exciting updates. But um, if I look at uh, uh, the, the child Nadia Mikachuk, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking of you know dark hair with some red streaks, but but maybe three feet tall. Yeah. Um, what drew you to science as a child, like at that level? Were you were you interested in that? Is that what you thought you were going to get into? Yeah, I think as a child, you don't realize what your path is going to be. But now looking back at what makes an inquisitive science type person, I was that child from the beginning, always asking questions, always poking at things, picking up spiders and other things and asking what's what's different about this one. Uh, following my dad around, who was in a walking encyclopedia of, of always willing to give me the scientific answer. And now I realize I'm just like him. You know, <laughs> I'm like, well, of course, this is what it is, you know. <laughs> So it, it's it's funny that, you know, the three foot version of me was probably very much like me now, um, not afraid to, to ask and, and look at things with a, a new lens and say, OK, well, I want to know more about that. And I want to figure out, you know, what's mysterious about this new thing. Writing fewer grants, perhaps, though. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I had told my seven year old self that that was in my future, I probably would have shied away from it, I think. Most people don't realize what scientists do. It's not hang out in labs like this beautiful one. Yeah. Uh, a lot of us spend time behind the desk coming up with ideas and research programs and writing a, a lot of grants. Yeah, we were talking off camera just how it's uh, you're, we're joining you from uh, from grant application season. So yes. <laughs> uh, we equally thank you for, for spending time with us during this busy time. I just want to pick up on something you said. I have a couple of three-foot scientists at my house right now, and they're constantly asking me questions, many of which I don't know the answer to. So. I was just wondering if you had any advice for non-scientific parents out there who want to encourage their kids to ask those questions, but they may not have the answers readily available. Yeah, I think that there's two things there. One, just support the inquisitive nature rather than saying like, oh, I don't have time to answer that. Be like, that is super cool. Like, way to go. I also wonder about that and and try to encourage that rather than discourage them asking questions and maybe being a little bit annoying but um, feeding that, because I think nowadays kids with the social media we have, they're, they're so easily distracted that I find there's less in that, less of that natural inquisitive nature being nurtured. So just give them whatever answer to keep them excited. In the meantime, you now have Google. Yeah. Our parents didn't have Google. They actually had to, you know, maybe go look at encyclopedias or come up with God knows what answer. But <laughs> give yourself some time and maybe... When there's a quiet moment in breakfast or you need to distract and be like, hey, do you remember asking me that question two days ago? Well, look at what I found out. Or maybe you found a cool YouTube video that'll engage them on the topic and just keep that keep that mind sharp and excited. My, nep my nephew's really into Minecraft right now. And uh, I thought that was just like a silly game. But like he's talking about like we have it's to smelt iron and then mix it with copper. We have to build a smelter. I'm like, oh my god, this guy's going to be like in the mining sector. No, it's you know? a, it's a genius vehicle. Yeah. Actually, we should tap into it more to try again gamify. And yeah. you guys are doing this at Cambrian. You know, you've got game development. I think there needs to be more connection between 
gamification because that's what our kids are used to now and shoving that information into their brains and making them love it right like they're yeah. they can identify minerals in square block pixel form that they didn't know they knew yeah right no, sure. so it's, it's pretty cool it's like sneaking the uh the green beans in with the mashed potatoes, so to speak. Or in the pasta sauce. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So now that you're on the Mount Rushmore of unlikely innovators because you, you know, you're our first two-time guest, we can embarrass you a little bit at the outset of the episode. So normally this lab is full of young scientists who are applying their trade here at Cambrian, and many of them look up to you. So one of the questions we wanted to ask you was, you know, on some level you must know that there are a lot of people in the community, not only in Surrey, but across the scientific community in Canada, that look up to you and view you as a role model. Can you reflect on that, but also talk about the role that some of the mentors and role models that you had uh, and how they encourage you to continue on this path? That's, it's a, that's a very humbling statement. I think it's uh, when you're going full force every day, you don't stop to think that there's other people looking up to you. Um, and I, I am cognizant of that. I think, you know, in my previous role as a professor, you always sort of encounter people, but uh, as any mentor, you have to sort of, um, you lead by example, but you also need to communicate what are the mistakes you probably can av avoid making. Um, and anybody who comes up to me, you know, male or female and says, well, you know, I'm really amazed at how easy you make this look. I'm like, well, it's really, <laughs> full <laughs> poker face aside, it's really not easy. Um, and it does come through failure and experience and trying things. But there's lots of, you know, advice I wish I'd had to maybe work around some of the big hurdles and challenges that, you know, maybe took three, four, five years to overcome. And maybe I'd be a little bit further along the path if I had, if I had known. That being said, I, I did have a lot of mentors and people I looked up to, you know, early in my career, I thought I'd be a bench scientist um, and an old crotchety professor for the rest of my life. And I was like, that's cool. I can grow into, you know, weird jackets and, you know, elbow pads and other things. But uh, looking at scientists that were well-established, uh, working not only in academia, but in government labs internationally and being like, they are still really cool, doing amazing stuff, moving the needle forward on, you know, discoveries that are needed for our, our society. And so, um, always having somebody there, always find that next person that you aspire to. And sometimes maybe you do catch up to them and then find somebody else. And I think that, keeps you learning, keeps you improving and driving. So when I'm, people say, oh, you, you know, you've made it, I'm like, absolutely not. I'm just a few steps ahead of uh, the people that look up to me. Well, I think you have two uh, fanboys, I suppose, I mean, Michael <laughs> and I. I don't know. Friends. If I, yeah, friends. friends. Fanboys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we have uh, Mickey Chuck t-shirts, but uh, we didn't wear them today. So, so as to not embarrass you, but I mean, obviously, I think the audience can tell that we've been working together for, for a while and, you know, we've developed a bit of a shorthand, but I think it's interesting that recently, I think our relationship got more formalized than ever uh, as we're partnering now on this new uh, industrial research chair with, with partners like Valet. Can you talk about this new chair uh, that you now uh, sit in, so to speak, and how, uh, what you'd like to accomplish over its five-year term and what the goals might be? It it is really exciting, and I I'm so grateful for you guys uh, in being willing to work with me, support me on it, engage in the science, and actually see that vision, mm -hmm. and and find ways for you know an applied research program, a college system, industry partners to work together. 
we we live that every single day. But I think maybe your listeners don't realize yeah. that it's actually very hard to marry all those components and, mm -hmm. and execute on a research program that's actually hoping to achieve and deliver solutions to the mining industry. And so what's I, what I'm really excited about, this is my second industrial research chair. My first one did make some headway. We had some new discoveries, accomplishments, trained lots of students. But with this one, I, I actually want to deliver on what we always write into the grants of like the blue sky, like, yes, we will deliver something amazing at the mm -hmm. end. I actually think we can do it within five years. And we're only going to be able to do it because of partnerships like this, of leveraging the capacity that we have in all of our institutions and bringing all those pieces together. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be working with you guys. And I know it's going to be hilarious also. So, <laughs> you know, it, it makes, you know, the work becomes more fun that way. Yeah, no, for sure it does. And I think uh, us being a part of it formally, uh, you know, you know, if we're all singing from the same song sheet and rowing in the same direction and any, any other partnership euphemism I could put into that, <laughs> um, I think it's it's going to be great. And I think five years is, is going to fly by, but I think it's going to be one of those things where also, you know, the, the importance uh, of, you know, this this new climate of critical minerals is, is going to, you know, feed a lot of wind to that sail as well. Actually, you've, you've teed me up so well, Steve. It's almost like we've been doing this for three years now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, everyone's talking about critical minerals, and that's a big part of the focus of your research share over the next five years. One of the things that Steve and I have talked about, and we probably talked about this with you, is that right now the demand for critical minerals is so high, and there's either not enough in the ground, or even if there is enough in the ground, we can't get to them quickly enough to meet this demand. But there's a lot of critical minerals that we can kind of uh, recuperate through biomining bio and bioremediation. Can you talk about the role that your work plays in helping to try to recapture some of these critical minerals that we're you know, desperately looking for right now at the provincial and federal level? Yeah, I, th I think it's it's not even just a Canadian problem. It's a global problem, and, and we hear the words a lot now. And it, it's good when things like critical minerals and battery supply chain is now entering into regular societal mm -hmm. discourse. But what I think is the gap that still exists is understanding, like you said, how are we going to get there? If, if you guys are like me, you've probably already put your name down on a list for an electric vehicle that may or may not show up in the next two, three yeah. years. What people don't realize is it's not a technology issue right now or a manufacturing issue. It's the raw material oh. that is not available. And it we do. We have to open 400 new mines. We, we can't possibly do that in a short space of time. So we have to look at these other materials, wastes, things that are already in production or on the surface or in supply somewhere. And recover those. The, the challenge with those is that usually they're low grade. So what we work on um, in mine waste materials are really low concentrations of critical minerals. But what happens when you have a lot of that, and we're talking hundreds of millions of tons of waste sitting at the surface, is that when you multiply that, even a less than 1% nickel, multiply that by 100 million, suddenly you have a lot of nickel. Yeah. So what we need to do is find the technologies that can help us extract that really low concentration without breaking the bank. And that's where technologies like biomining come in. Bacteria work very cheaply. We can keep, as long as we can keep them happy and working efficiently, they can extract that metal with less energy, less of a carbon footprint than a smelter or even a hydromet plant. So we really have to develop and accelerate the production and, and transfer those solutions to industry if we're going to try and tap a very real resource that right now we're considering a waste product. Well, and I mean, what a differentiation. I mean, I've talked at length uh, at how close 
mining is to the consumer now through this through this revolution. What a differentiation for Canada if we can start, you know, mining our mine waste, you know, in a very low energy, low carbon footprint way. I mean, it it makes our resources much more saleable to, you know, economies that where that matters, right? Absolutely. And I think um, one thing Canada doesn't realize is that, you know, we do have a very progressive um, environmental and environmental social governance uh, perspective on new mining operations. But we do have a pretty dark history of environmental impacts. And because Canada is so large and we sort of have the advantage of our geography, we just put our mine waste aside and we left it there. Yeah. Other jurisdictions like Europe and other parts of the world where communities are so close to the mine waste, they had to deal with them and often, you know, put them underground or, or dispose of the waste in a way that they're no longer as accessible. A lot of Canadian waste is still just sitting at the surface and largely intact in the same way that it was even 100 years ago when it was deposited. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a double potential advantage here. We have a win-win situation. If we can address some of that darker history of, you know, not really environmentally sustainable mining practices, extract that metal and also help clean up some of that history. And that's kind of that's that's inspiring to me because I think of that that dark history where like not even a hundred years ago, smelting nickel out in the open in like these giant roast heaps that were the size of football fields. And now we're talking about using bacteria to break down mine waste, right? Like it's it's come a long way. I mean there's still a lot more that we need to do, but it is kind of if you flip it the other way, like we did a lot of bad things. Um within this like previous century right so yeah it's time for a redemption story coming out of for the every sure. basin right? and i think that that legacy is an important one to acknowledge at the onset because here we can't just say oh we've got our new solution for critical mm -hmm. minerals and here's what it is guys yeah. i think that has to start with the admission of well we didn't do things properly in the past and we have to do that better because i think as the globe is running to try and meet those critical minerals demands we run the risk of making some of those same mistakes. Yeah. And if you're going to say, well, we need those batteries, so it doesn't matter if we pollute the environment or damage some ecosystems. We Not really can't, we can't do that anymore. Yeah. So yeah. I think it, it's a it's an opportunity for us to to really fix the way we did things and address a big problem that we're all facing now. Yeah, and I mean the the work that uh, you're going to be doing with the research chair, I think is going to you know work to get that football to use your analogy. Uh, further towards the end zone, but wouldn't it be great if there was a center that then also, you know, took those nascent technologies and uh, and worked to commercialize it? Perhaps I'm <laughs> perhaps I'm leading the witness here, but you're working on an exciting project that we sorry that we've been talking about for some time. Yes, uh, you and I uh, through the years, uh, and it just seems you know what I like about this, and I will we'll, I'll let you reveal, but um, we've been talking about this this the center idea for, for some time because where do these technologies go to then get turned into companies? Um, so maybe just talk a little bit about it and then and sort of unveil. Uh, many people in the community will know about this, but just for our listeners, uh, what we're talking about. Yeah, so this uh, this center, this secret center that you're talking about, <laughs> the Center for Mine Waste Biotechnology, which might have a catchier name at some point sure. in the near future. But um, that idea that we threw around, I, mean, I think it started almost eight, nine years ago where we said, well, we re this is a thing we really need. It came from the understanding that there's a real gap, right? It's one thing to talk about what it's like to get minerals out of the ground and into batteries and moving across that supply chain. But when you talk about developing technologies, they have to go through so many stages 
and no one entity or institution does them all, right? No startup is developing an idea from a bench scale and then moving it all the way through the technology readiness mm -hmm. levels and delivering a commercial product. It takes too long. The investment's too high and the, the return takes too long. So those initial ideas have to start in places like academic institutions and labs and research and government um, entities. That takes years, mm -hmm. sometimes decades, to have that fundamental research to then say, you know what, we, we might actually have a solution here. And then we still don't have a ready technology. Getting it through those really difficult, that, that gap in the middle of maturing that technology to a point where you can actually test if it's commercial ready is not a service or a technology or a function that post-secondary institutions, that government labs do, or the private sector. And so when we talked about, you know, how are we going to take these amazing ideas that I worked on in my academic career and get them through and deliver a solution to industry that we need right now, that's where the idea and that center was born in that we need to help fill that gap. Mm -hmm. And we have to do things that we weren't really actually initially trained to do. Of What does it take to scale up and mature a technology, de-risk it, do the feasibility so that industry can look at you and say, yeah, now you're speaking our language. Now we can take what you say is possible and integrate it into our operations and deliver metals mm -hmm. from mine waste using bacteria, right? It sounds great but we have to demonstrate that it's actually possible. So that is what I'm hoping we achieve with the center. And, and we're getting close. We're getting close to hopefully getting the, the funding to break ground next year. It's a really exciting time. It is a really exciting time. And we're going to, we're going to kind of jump ahead into the future. Like let's pretend we're 10 years in the future. The center is, it's built, it's humming. It's a hive of activity. We're on a different research chair term now, or maybe we're in something entirely different. What is, what would be next for Nadia to conquer after the center's up and running, we fulfilled our obligations to NHFC and our industry partners through this this current research chair. What's next? Have you thought about what's next? I know there's a lot going on right now, so it's it's easy to say like, well, I haven't thought about ten years, Mike. But thanks for asking me in, in front of the cameras. But it's, what is next? Yeah, ten years isn't actually that far out when you think about research and technology yeah. development. So even within this first five years of getting the center up and running and delivering. Those first five years, we're going to see our first handful of technologies that are ready to be implemented. But that's just a handful of technologies. I see actually a lifetime of work. The periodic table is vast. The types mm. of wastes that are out in our community and society and industry are vast. And every single one of those needs a different solution. So we're not coming up with a widget. And once we make the widget, all problems solved. This is going to be a process. So 10 years from now, I would love to have that center up and running so fluidly that we've got intakes of new students engaging different partners that come and say, here's, here's our problem. Can mm -hmm. you help us solve this particular problem? Different elements, different end uses, different types of wastes and, and bringing partners together around that to, to develop that. The next five years is really going to be focused on getting all of that infrastructure in place and getting all of that, you know, business and organization stuff organized and sorted. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it's it's making it a fluid process and we can keep pumping those solutions out and hopefully at a higher rate. Now, I don't believe in jinxing anything, but what I'll say is that I fully believe that you'll succeed in this endeavor. Thank you. And uh you know, we're happy to ride your coattails to that finish line. No, of course. we uh, Partnership. Yeah, no, arm in arm. I'd rather. <laughs> no, 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 I'd I, rather I say it in jest, of course. Yeah. Be, you know, leaning on you guys rather than dragging you along. Of so course. No, we're, 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 fully, we're fully aligned. 
And, um, you know, if in 10 years we can say, you know, there's a center that we can all go to to have these kinds of discussions and say, wow, we actually did that. I think it's going to be a really, really exciting accomplishment. And we should actually take time instead of writing the next grant at that point to say, look what we did, That's you know, right. and actually pat ourselves on the back. Because I think it's it's one of those things where things are moving so quickly, uh, even now with the critical minerals race, um, you know, that we don't ever take time to to smell the roses. And I think we should do more of that. But uh, smell the sulfur. Yeah, smell the sulfur. I think That's it's right. uh, it's important. Like you say, I, I've caught myself doing this, too, is acknowledge the incredible things we have achieved and i can't wait for the unlikely innovators podcast on-site edition yes. yeah. when we break That's ground and cut the ribbon and are running those pilot scale bioreactors yeah that hum is going to be a really magical sound and i hope you guys feature it well by then i'll probably have been replaced by dean kane or some other reasonable <laughs> uh, more attractive facsimile but uh, for the time being I'll, I'll sign on for that yeah we'll see what spotify has <laughs> yeah. to say about that at yeah, that point but not exactly I, before we let you go because i know that that's where steve was he was winding up and we, we know we have to get you on your way because it is grant writing season applications are due one of the things i wanted to ask you is how important is the acronym in the title of the grants that you put in, because I think <laughs> funny, uh, yeah. all the listeners who are in the co in the space writing research applications are always thinking about like, ah, I need another letter catchy. so that this can be like a catchy, catchy name. So I say this in jest, but like, do you struggle with trying to come up with a title or you just, you know what, at the end of the day, I just need to get this out. We'll worry about the name later. Yeah, it's a, it's funny you mentioned that. So my earliest grants, we didn't care about a catchy acronym. You just made up the acronym, and sometimes yeah. it never rolled off the tongue. <laughs> yeah. It was consonants that should never be put next yeah. to one another, and you'd try to shove a vowel in there somewhere. But now, I know you, you laugh because oh, you've also had, lived it. Yeah. Here's the thing. AI is solving this for us now. Oh. So there are several oh, websites that I will share with you okay. where you literally put in here are my keywords and the topic that our grant represents, and it will spit out 20 to 30 catchy acronyms. Oh, wow. oh my God. That's a game drive. I know. Maybe that's a show notes. We've set. actually had uh, whiteboard <laughs> sessions where we're yes. like, <laughs> What's this the name? does this work? sound no, okay? Yeah. Can we like use good. the as a T? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, I will share that with you. Okay. Oh, that's um, awesome. AI is going to help, you know, unclutter our brains on trying to come up with something catchy. Like but then that. what will we do? <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll right. Spend more yeah, time yeah, writing yeah, the, yeah, grants. the rest of the grants. Very good, yeah. <laughs> but, Instead uh, of having full boardroom meetings on names, we yeah. should, yeah. Can we so, use the H and the, the N <laughs> Yeah, can we use both? To, Small nah, letters, bigger letters, yeah. emphasize yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then we think about it like the bureaucrats evaluating it. Maybe they don't ever even care. Actually, you, it's funny you say that because think about how many times you end up using the acronym afterwards. That's true. Yeah. In all press releases, short forms, it becomes yeah. the identity. Names matter. Names yeah. matter, yeah. So pick it well. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. That's a good note to, to leave it on. Names matter. Uh, Dr. Nadia Mikachuk, thanks again for joining us. Well, thank you, guys. I really enjoyed it. And uh, we'll see where the future takes us, but I'm sure it'll be... Ribbon cutting group. next time. Ribbon yes. cutting. <laughs> Live podcast out of ribbon cutting, but you 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 first. you're probably tracking to be our first three time guest. So uh, we'll we'll definitely look forward to that. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks. Steve and I have an inside joke right now where everything <laughs> is a humble brag, which of course it's not always a humble brag, even it's, if it's not bragging. And I mean, it's I guess it's only funny to us, and it's probably not funny to you listening to it. But uh, anyway. You made me laugh before we started rolling again, so that's why I brought it up. But, Steve, we are in the lab still, yes. obviously, as evidenced by our attire. 
I'm going to get on the ones and twos really quickly and run some experiments. Yeah, we but need you on the GCMS, I think. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think I'll do that. I'm fully trained and yeah. qualified to operate that. Um, but off camera, when Natty was here, we were talking about how oftentimes when you do a grand opening or you do a demonstration in a facility like this, there is uh, a tendency among you know the comms or the or the operational folks to say like let's we have to demo this so like let's get some blue liquid in these beakers and I want you to really over the top pipette some things and maybe you know swirl the beaker above <laughs> yeah, your yeah. head so we can see the liquid sloshing around. Um, we know that a lot of real science happens in here, but what is your go to science experiment to really show off your scientific prowess? I know what mine is. Um, my scientific prowess yeah like what is your go-to uh, if you gotta if you have to show nick something that's going on like what would you oh okay if you had the like what are you what are you pulling out of your uh, of your chest yeah we actually do play a game him and i uh when we're out uh exploring the nature so we go on a lot of nature hikes yeah. but one of the things is when we see a pile of gravel we actually do a uh an open pit mining simulation. So oh, wow. we actually take sticks and start to make like either tunnels in the side uh, or start an open pit ramp. And he loves it. So we call it playing mining. So I'm such a loser that not only am I the center for smart mining manager, I also uh, do pretend mining with my nephew in my spare time. You're single-handedly trying to close the skills gap That's in right. mining. You're just one nephew at a time, one nephew at a time. Yeah, yeah. That's great. What I about mean, you? Mine was is way more cliche and definitely not as like uh, practical as yours. But it's obviously the the baking soda volcano. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I used to do some mean paper mache as a kid, and I used to paint it so it looked like a volcano. We haven't gone that far yet, but well, not a lot of our listeners would know how skilled of an artist you are. Uh, there's been a lot of caricatures of myself drawn on the board in the boardroom, but you're a skilled artist, and I know you can't say that because it would be boastful. That would be a humble brag. It would be well, it'd be a straight <laughs> up brag. Yeah. But sure. uh, but he is a very skilled artist and can draw uh, almost anything. Well, thank you. But yes, that would be if I had the option of going through all of these. I'm sure we can make a volcano. Oh yeah. Out of some of these uh, these beakers and flasks, but we'll try and uh, we stay won't do that. Though. Way. <laughs> yeah, we won't do that. No, not for today. Um, but yeah, we're very excited to be back for season three and to bring you this this format where we're going to be doing more of these in person interviews on location because visually it looks good. Um, sometimes it doesn't always sound good, but it will sound good by the time you hear it. Yeah, so well, I have no doubt about that. Shout out to producer uh, Paul Hamilton, who I'm looking at right now. Um, definitely more exciting for him to be on location with us. You know, we were in the boats together, and uh, now we're going to be on location together. So. so, yeah, so thanks again for tuning in, and we look forward to bringing you some new content for Season 3, which is something I didn't think, I don't think either of us thought we'd get to yeah. when we started virtually yeah. uh, back, what was that, the f first season of the pandemic? I think yeah. this, the pandemic had seasons. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Of course, we're going to Season 5 now. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, thank you so much for joining us, and... Uh, taking his journey with us on season three. Bye-bye. The Unlikely Innovators with Mike Comito and Steve Gravel, presented by Cambrian R&D and the Center for Smart Mining.